Don't worry, everybody. The new episode is coming right up. But first, I want to remind you there are three quick ways that you can support the Fat Guy Forum and help the show keep going. First, make sure that you have rated and reviewed the show on whatever pod service you're using, whether that is Apple, Spotify, or whatever it is. Make sure you're doing that. Two, you can join the Patreon for a few dollars a month. You get access to the after show. You help keep things going because this show does have costs. And you're able to be a part of the Fat Guy Forum community that I would love to see grow, get your input on what you want to see going on with the show, and more. And the third and final way, if you can't join the Patreon, but you're buying products for yourself that I'm an affiliate for, like Redmond Real Salt and Kettle and Fire Bone Broth, there are links and codes in the show notes where you will save money when you use them, and I get a little bit to help things going here. So, please... Pick at least one of those ways to support the show if you enjoy listening to it on a regular basis, and know that I appreciate whatever you choose to do. And now let's get on with the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host Gourmet, and I am happy to be with you once again, bringing the story of an awesome dude that I have connected with through the power of the internet. Uh, This week, I am talking to Corby Jackson. Corby, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well today. Well, I am excited to talk to you, man, so let's get into it and tell us what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum. Uh, Let's see. Um, I guess the biggest part of my qualification in this is this this idea that I did not want to die. So my story starts, I want to say the journey of my, my weight being really difficult started in 2018. Uh, I was at the highest of my weight. I was 835 pounds. By that time, I was going in and out the hospital like every three months, uh, whether it be because my blood pressure was too high, too much water on my legs. I even had a pulmonary embolism, uh, blood clot to the lung. And I still was just accepting that by the age of 30 at that time, I was just going to die. Like, you know, I mentally, and that's and that was the scary part. Because I was like, all right, I have, you know, I have a degree, I have this, I have that. I felt like that accomplishment was enough. So realistically, I let my weight be like my imprisonment to the balance of success I feel like I can have. And um, just one day after I left the hospital, it was like October 2019. I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this. And I just decided to go on a walk. And I made a promise with myself, like, if I can go, say, do a mile once a day, rain, sleet, snow, doesn't matter, just do it. So that's where this uh, mantra of my life now is my consistency outweighs my doubts, which I wake up, I go and do my mile. Now my miles turn to three miles. And it's just a daily process of saying, if I can give myself an hour of time to myself, to work on me physically and emotionally, what would that feel like? Uh, Which is and no, no, that, and that's awesome to hear. Like I think that's the the you know the that is the as a mantra that's powerful. And I'm curious, and I'm sure the people listening are curious, is because you didn't wake up at 835 pounds in 2018. So no, no. no. <laughs> so where did you, so you know part of part of your journey is not just the decision to lose weight, but you know, where it, where it all started for you? Like, where, did you grow up a big kid? You know, where do you think? Because there's, you know, I, 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 I've had some guests on the show 
that have been 600, 700, 800 pounds. And as much as there's commonality there, I think there's also, you know, there's, there's a unique story to each person's experience that someone out there is going to resonate with. So I'm just curious for you, like, were you, were you always a big kid? Did you grow up bigger or was it something that came on to you like in adolescence and later on? So no, I was always a big kid. Uh, at birth, I was like 15 pounds. Um, and at the time, I this thing called aspirated meconium, which basically I had fluid in my lungs and I had to be incubated. So by by birth to when I was 13 years old, I was on steroids uh, for my lungs, which uh, like prednisone and things like that. Those things uh, tend to balloon you up. You get bigger. So on top of that, living in a household uh, where I do have two um, obese parents, they use food as a comfort for good, bad, anything, that became the narrative in which I kind of lived and surrounded myself in. Like, I just accepted that, oh, well, my family's big. I can I can be that. Uh, I want to say by the age of 13, I was 350 pounds. You know, uh, by the age of 18, I was 473 pounds. Now, mind you, I was playing football and things like that. It's yeah. just... And and you're a tall guy. Kid. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm six, eight and I was, I was very active still. Like I was, uh, played baseball. I was, uh, playing football. I would do sports, but again, my size just kept on getting bigger. And I feel like it was a combination of not only, um, the relationship to food, uh, based on my family environment, but then, uh, Growing up in, a, in an environment where you know, I, I come from a divorced household and uh, learning the negative traits of manipulation when it came to reward. Right. So as a kid, I learned that, you know, hey, if one parent is not liking another parent at this day and I say something, I'm going to get rewarded with food. Mm. So it was that it was that it was that yeah. schematic because. I didn't feel like I had a voice in the household because, you know, I was the youngest kid. So I felt like I got, got lost in the mix of having my say in things. So food was my ability to reward myself for the validation of saying, well, this is how I exist. Right. And I know that's like, for me at the time, it was, you know, it was just subconscious, like this was happening. And now as an adult, it's like, wow, I, I processed that and was like, I really use food as a way to get people to love me. Which I think, which I think makes sense with that idea that we, it, when we're younger, we do things, we do what we need to do to survive in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. You know, we do what we need to do to get through those circumstances, you know, coming from, you know, a very rocky divorce family as well. Like I understand like there's, you know, it's almost like you're in two different environments at times and having to, and having to figure out how to navigate each one of them and go through that. But like you said, you know, as a kid, you're not sitting there being like, okay, how can I completely manipulate this situation? You know, like, how can I use this in this situation and do this? And, you know, it was about just fulfilling needs, you know, that may not even have been conscious at that point, but being able to, to look back on that and see where those things develop. Because I think there's so many different things that go into our development you know, that come out of not just our relationship with food and the relationship with food that other people in our family have, but like you're talking about the idea that you were on those steroids for so long, especially being on them during developmental phases um, as a youth, there's an impact there. 
You know, I also think, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's been researched or not, that being significantly overweight when we go through those development, excuse me, those developmental phases has an impact of our future as an adult. Like there's, there's so many things that are impacted and affected by a lot of different factors as, as we grow up, obviously. And, you know, that add up to take us into the situation that we're in. As oh, yeah, for sure. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was like, yeah, for sure. Cause, um, like, because, because I study like psychology and different theoretical things, uh, based on the work I do, uh, there's, there's a guy named Eric Erickson stages of change. Uh, he does identity versus role confusion and a very important piece between the ages of, ages of 12 and 18 is how does one have their own identity based on the characteristics, morals and values they have in themselves versus, you know, trying to figure out the role they fit into the world around them. And because I was the biggest guy and I felt like I was getting bullied for my size, I used my size to play the role of like, okay, well, I'm the biggest guy, so let me be the big man on campus. And I, I built into a role in which my identity didn't fit, right? And, and that's kind of where, like, being bigger became the, oh, because I'm the biggest guy, let me do all the features I think big guys are supposed to do. But realistically inside, my identity was like, all right, you know, this isn't you, but you're doing this just so you can feel closer, connected with people. Like, people are liking you because, oh, you're the teddy bear, or, oh, um, you know, you can protect me to, and those things. And it's like, okay, great. You're, you're doing all that, but how do you protect you? How do you make yourself feel loved? Even though all of what you're doing is for the validation that's outside of you, because the comfort came from outside, like food was a comfort that came from outside. Validation came from a comfort outside of me. Um, and that was the thing. Like I had to realize what was going to be a comfort I found for myself that I didn't need to go outside of me to reach. Mm. What do you think you first became aware that, you know, food was comfort for you? Um, I think when I had the, I think it was a more of a physical, emotional uh, concept. So my thing was bowls of cereal. Uh, cereal was like, I'll eat a whole box of cereal and I'll leave the empty box on top of the refrigerator <laughs> hoping my mom doesn't notice that was empty and then you know and I'll eat that throughout the entire night I'll come down and get a bowl get a bowl and she wouldn't notice you'd be asleep but it was it was that feeling of this feels safe I feel full I think being full was the warm hug I felt I needed at times when no one was around and that was the, I guess, correlation of, I noticed like, you know, food was a pleasure of not just physical satisfaction, but emotional satisfaction. Which makes a lot of sense. Like that physical and emotional connection is something I think we overlook a lot of times when, we're, when we dive into these issues. Like when... So now, you know, like knowing that you, you were, you were taking on that, that role of being the big guy and kind of playing into that role, were you, were, were there points where you were trying, you know, to, to, to lose weight? Like was dieting a part of your dialogue at all? Or was it more, there was just this long stretch of this is who I am. This is, this is the role I'm going to play. 
No, I I believe dieting was so I know dieting was part of it. I know like whenever I go to doctor, the doctor will be like, "You got to lose weight," and I'm like, "Okay," and you know I'll get excited for losing five pounds, right? But in my mind, it's like, "Cool, I I'll, I'll go to the doctor, get on scale, lose five pounds, leave the doctor's office, and go to Baskin Robbins and get a milkshake." Like that that was the I was like for the five pounds I lost, let me go ahead and have a shake. Like I. I felt like rewarding myself even was with food. Again, I wasn't satisfied with the reward of saying I lost five pounds. I, I needed the satisfaction of something outside of me to validate why it was worth it. Well, do you also think, because this is something I, I resonate with a lot, like a lot of my early weight loss efforts were about getting that validation from other people. Like, do you think that was a part of it, like for yourself? Like, was it that external validation of you... You know, the doctor sees that you lost five pounds. That's great. But like you said, the reward still wasn't linked to anything internal. So it, you went right back into the same patterns. Does that make well, sense? Well, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think what I did was I doubled down on it, right? So I think from my my experience, uh, when I felt like that reward wasn't enough, like, my doctor could be jumping up for joy of the fact that I lost 5 to 10 pounds, right? And I, I will feel that validation, like, yes, I did it. But then it was like, yeah, that that's not enough. So it was an addictive thought process that I need more validation, right? And then, you know, I was like, oh, look at me. I lost 10 pounds. I look 5 pounds, right? And then, you know, family was like, oh, great job. Proud of you. And I was like, you don't understand this. This is hard, and like I would then be in the victim of like this is this is really hard for me to do. Which I'm mean, granted it was, but it was the element of I needed more, and I wasn't satisfied with the sensation to say I was enough to say I'm proud of myself. I did that. That was worth something. So yeah, it was definitely a more of a I needed validation because realistically, when I was big, I was getting validation. You know, I was getting validation when I was eating a large meal and friends were like, oh man, I can't believe you did. I was like, yeah, you see that? Or I'll get validation of like, oh, you can pick me up. We can do this. And it's like, awesome. Great. I'm, I'm now the like class clown of being big. And the significance of that is, you know, there was not a relationship or correlation to how I felt about me. It was always about what I wanted people to reward me with. Whether it's their time of saying, you're cool, or, oh, man, you're a great guy. And it's like, okay, cool, I'm playing up to this piece of I always have to be validated that I'm worth something. And it's never me saying I'm worth it. Mm. So how did that, what was that trajectory like for you into adulthood when, you know, you're not in school anymore, sports aren't a part of the picture, like... What was what was life like physically for you as you were you know headed to that that headed to your highest weight in twenty eighteen? Um, I think uh, the directory was I was isolative. I felt embarrassed because I didn't have sports to you know fall back on and say this is why I'm this size. Like I I did a lot of cloaking, right? So. Sports cloaked the idea of me being big, so people just accepted it. Right. Um, me me uh, using the validation, because I look at 
TV show like 600 Pound Life, and then I'll do this comp- comp- uh, comparison aspect of, well, at least I'm not on disability or I'm not, you know, in bedridden and things like that. Even though I know that I'm one step away from doing that, right? Because I'd be like, well, I got a job, I got a car, I can drive, I walk, I move. And I thought that was like enough to validate and cloak this idea that there's a problem. So where that switch came into play was I was, I realized that there will be one, no one to save me. Two, the narrative in which I'm allowing to happen in my life is based on me not put forth any action to change it. And it wasn't even my mom, like my mom saying she's worried about my weight because my mom, I love her to death. There was times where she did enable me in my eating, right? Because that was the only relationship she felt she could provide as uh, saying I love you at times. You know, and, and I understood that. But it really became in a conversation I had with my, my boss, right? Uh, and I respect the man to this day because he, he still gives me this realistic role of understanding, like, you know, your weight is not your identity, right? So he, he had a sit, and this was after I had COVID. In 2000, mm, 2020 of May, I had COVID. And I remember uh, after having COVID, he sits me down and was like, listen, um, your, your continuous issues with your weight going in and out of the hospital every three months, you know, uh, your personal life, which was my weight, is going to affect your professional life. Right? And it was this clicking of like, I was, so, I was so adamant on the role of my professional life of saying, man, I got this degree. I'm this clinical lead, I'm this and that. And I realized, okay, but my identity doesn't convey the message that I'm working on me either. All right, I was playing up the role. So like his analogy was because I had a had an oxygen tank after I had my pulmonary embolism. And he was like, how many times do you think uh, you'll be able to have a therapy session with a client uh, with an oxygen tank? Without them thinking like, okay, what are you working on yourself? What are you doing to to better you? Because if you're not doing anything to better you, then how do you know you're getting better? Like, and it's like, oh wow, I didn't I didn't think that. I just thought like that was just an acceptable thing, and like we're in this world of just acceptance and everybody's. And if I can accept this part of me having this oxygen tank, why would I think other people allow it? Like, I didn't like the fact that I had to be on oxygen, but I knew that was part of this because I was still bigger. And that's what was the idea of like, you need to work on you for your influences to kind of flourish. You influence people based on what you wanted people to give you in return. What happens when you organically create the validation within yourself? Now people are going to ask you how you did it. Now they're curious to understand how you how are you doing better with you. And I think that became the switch after that conversation. Mm. Which is a powerful realization. What do you think What do you think was the disconnect that allowed you to, you know, have those episodes of going in and out of the hospital every few months knowing that your physical health that doesn't make that phrasing doesn't really make any sense. Knowing that your weight was a factor 
in, in what was going on with your physical health. What do you think was keeping you from making that connection of, you know, that, like you said, the, the very top of the show, you know, which I resonated with was that you had to realize that you wanted to live. Like, what do you think was holding you back from making that connection through all of those episodes? Was it, because I know you started to talk a little bit about like having come to that place of, of acceptance of, well, this is just the path that I'm on, but you know, this is where I'm headed. And if I, I die before 30, these are the things that I've accomplished. Like, what do you think was making that connection? Okay. For you? Does that make sense? The, so, so basically like what, what was the reason why I just accepted that I was going to die by 30? Yeah. Like why, what, what do you think it, you know, in your words, you know, you know, what what I, what yeah what made that okay? Because I listened to everybody else and I accepted their their words of all my life. I I know this, I don't know how to like it's, it's difficult to explain. I can give you an example. Um, when I was eighteen, I remember after a football game, me and some of my uh, friends we went to White Castles. And at the time, White Castle had this 30 sack of, you know, these tiny burgers. And I, I did a challenge and I ate all 30 burgers, right? And the teacher passed me by and she was like, you know, if you keep on doing this, you'll die by 30. And like, I, and I, she walked away and, I was, and it stuck with me. So like that concept of I was going to die by 30, you know, going in and out the hospital, I was like, huh, maybe she's right. Maybe this is it. And I also on top of that, it was the, I guess the listening to people like my mom being influenced, like, you know, I love you for, you know, whatever size you are and things like that. So it was like, okay, well, if my mom loves me, then you know, I don't have to worry about anyone else loving me. So it was always this need to feel it's okay to do what I'm doing based on everyone's opinion of acceptance because I realized I never, I still didn't have my own voice because I listened to everyone else's voice to tell me what to do. So, I, and I think that the switch came apart was when I left that hospital, this was what October, so it was kind of getting chilly. So I would walk in the cold. And I think the biggest, I guess, move for me was my mom would be like, it's too cold to go outside. Don't go walk, right? And I was like, mom, no disrespect. I love you, but I'm going to go for this walk. And she, at the time, didn't understand why I was so adamant about, you know, in her head, probably defying her. Like, you're defying what I'm telling you what to do, right? Uh, but it wasn't that. It was more so I was trying to convey to myself that if I want to do this, I have to listen to my voice and my voice only. I have to actually act on what I'm saying I'm going to do and, f and follow through. I can't just listen to people saying, you know what, you know, you've been, you've been doing this so long, take a break. It's like, no, like, I've taken a break all my life. Like, it's time for me to take action on this. So for me, it was the, like, even in the wintertime when it became December, snow, very cold, I would go walk at Home Depot. I would go inside Home Depot. And I'll walk my laps and no one will bother me. And after slowly over time, my mom stopped telling me, oh, you shouldn't do this. She just accepted it. And I realized, like, the more action I took to 
to make myself feel good, the more people are just going to have to accept that I'm changing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm changing for me and their perception of me has to change with that. Cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not conditioned to the same thought process, the same actions I've been doing for me to just accept the fact of like, okay, well, they said to do this or they say I'm this. So I just, I'll play into that label. Uh, I was like, well, if I was going to identify and label me, how would I want to be seen? Right. You know, and there becomes like existential questions. I had to ask myself, like, why do I exist? So even in my walks, I'll ask the question, like, why do I exist? And every time during my walk, I'll find a reason to live. Like, why do I want to exist and live today? Like, what's the purpose behind my actions? All right. And what and is the purpose for me or the fulfillment of others? So it was more so like what fulfillment I needed from it versus the world, right? Because I felt like the world was going to be a beneficiary to me bettering myself, regardless. If, you know, if, if I, and not the world, like the people around me, the people that love me, they were going to be a beneficiary to me working on myself. Like I didn't need them to tell me, oh, I love you and I accept you for who you are anymore. I just like, well, I don't accept me. So it's time for me to change that. What do you think enabled that realization? You know, making that switch from deriving everything from that external st stimulus, you know, that external validation to asking those internal questions that are questions that only you can answer. Because I think that's the, you know, when I hear you telling your story, like there's, there's something there, you know, like in that, mo like, was it something that happened in, in that hospital visit? Was it just enough is enough? Like what? Because I also, and, obvi and obviously it, it's not like overnight 100% change happens, but something gets that, that spark, you know, going, something starts that fire. Like, what do you think enabled you to, to be able to kind of start to change that momentum? Um, so yeah, uh, maybe I can give you an explanation in a, in a different way. So like, you know when you eat a food and you know it's like your favorite food, but it doesn't give you the same satisfaction. I, I, that was what was going on, right? The enabling of people telling me you don't have to do it, you don't have to change, wasn't satisfying anymore. Like it didn't, it didn't hold the same value as I found when I acted on change for myself. I I I I realized I hyper focused on the feeling I wanted from what I was doing versus the response I was receiving. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I like people could tell me, "Oh, you're doing a good job," and I'd be like, "Okay, cool, thank you. Like, I appreciate it." But like, I know what my good is. I know what this is. I know what, and it was it was I was very <clears throat> bullheaded or strong on this notion of like. I, I really want to stop listening to people telling me what I should or should not do with my life. I just got sick and tired of that feeling. Like a doctor telling me, oh, you're going to die by this. Or you're, I'm, gonna do, I'm sick and tired of hearing that. So I realized in order for that to stop, I had to do something for me about it. All right, because I, I, I saw in the beginning, like, okay... It felt good to, you know, I was, I was posting, I was posting this, like, okay, cool, the validation of people are going to keep me on my toes, and they're, like, my blind spot, they'll check to see, oh, you didn't walk today, and then it makes me go harder the next day, 
And I, I believe that there was a correlation of, of a dual shift of like, I still needed the encouragement uh, to push me, but I didn't need the, their push to, to define if I was going to do it. I still was going to do it. It just depended on how hard I was going to go. And so I realized like even that became dull. Like I couldn't, I couldn't push myself solely on the feeling of like people cheering me on anymore. Cause after a while that subsided, it was like, okay, I have to really think about what, what value this means to me. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I got, I just got sick and tired of that, that feeling of like, this is not, this is not enough. Cause the same feeling I got with food, right? I was, I'll eat till I get full. And I'd be that warm, fuzzy hug that I needed. Uh, it was like when I was physically active, I found a warm, fuzzy hug and and establishing loving myself. Because right? it wasn't something I did. I, I didn't ever really show, truly show myself love. Uh, I used my, I used the roles I had as I was as admiration of saying, "Man, I have this title. I have this." But those are just those are just roles I play. Like who I am wasn't being loved and i think and i and i know this like because i wasn't showing up loving myself it, it affected the roles i played in people's lives so in order for me to kind of go back to the root of that i noticed identifying hey corby what do you love about yourself what are you going to do to change why do you want to change what's the purpose behind your change how fulfilling is that are you going to hold true to what you say you're going to do and be consistent with it? Like telling myself these things, like actively saying in the mirror or actively as I do my walk, you know, saying my mantra or telling myself I love myself, talking. It, it was interesting because I remember I was doing a, a jog one day and I was talking to myself and someone looked at me like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, just, just, <laughs> just, just trying to talk to myself uh, and like motivate myself. You know, and they'll be like, you know, I'm proud of you because they'd be like, I noticed you doing this. I'll keep it up. I'm like, I appreciate that. I mean, it, and it added more oomph, but it was just how do I speak to myself through the process? Was Which mattered more? Which is so important because I think sometimes, especially when, when you know, because people will have that realization of, you know, enough is enough and I need to make change and all those things that come into play with it. And then we'll say, I need to find the right tool to help me lose this weight, you know, and get very stuck up in the, the logistics of weight loss mm. and miss out yes. on all of this other stuff. And like, and let's be, you know, like we, you know, let, let's talk frankly, like, especially when you're someone that has been, you know, extremely overweight, you know, as we both have, like, there's way more to what's going on than just what's on the plate. Like, there's way more than what's go to what's going on than just am I taking a walk today or am I not taking a walk today? Like there has to be that place of contemplation, mindfulness, reflection, examination. Like those things are just so important because you can use a tool to lose weight, but if you haven't done any of that other work, you know, what foundation have you built to stay to that place you're headed towards? Like Oh no, go ahead. For sure, for sure. And, you know, to, to even ex, you know expound on that, um, I think like understanding your trauma, 
like I, I realized I had to I had to do a lot of journaling and you know the you know while you lose weight there's some signs of like body dysmorphia like there's some like I don't like this I still see the big man in the mirror aspect and I and I, I know I still do at times but it was this how do I put it I had to really break down what traumas I had you know where like okay when it came to the trauma of love and my relationships uh outside of my parents or my siblings okay like my relationships with a significant other why was i overly people pleasing right and why was i why was i okay with accepting the the very very bare minimum just for someone to say i love you and why was i needing to always tell someone i love them over and over again as if you know they didn't know with my actions like I had to defend my love to people, and as element is like, okay, well, if I put that much energy in trying to defend that, why can't I defend me and loving myself? All right, and then there was the aspect of, okay, cool, I don't think I'm worthy of love. I didn't think I'm worthy because I don't, I don't like myself. I don't like how I look. I don't like how I treat myself. I think I'm not deserving of love because I've, I've wasted away many years of my my health. Uh, living up to try to take care of other people and their emotions. I was always that strong friend, so I was always there to be present for other people. And then when people ask me, how are you doing? I always say, you know, I'm good. You know, I, I'll, I'll pivot to all the accolades I have versus the real truth of like, I'm dying inside. This is a very dark space. This is a very, this is a very dark person who does not like themselves right now. And uh, even in the, and that's a continuous thing. Like there, there's this element of like, when I feel like I've done bad uh, in life, I feel like I have to punish myself. And not that like it's a, some severe sense of like, okay, I'm not gonna eat for 48 hours or if I overate or something like that. But punishing myself of like, this is a negative trait that, that I don't like. It's a, too much of an icky feeling. So. I'll go on a like a extreme jog to kind of release the feeling because I'm I feel I need to relieve this this idea that this is either a role I played or a part of my identity that I, I just don't like. That there was there was those features that I had to address throughout my process. It just speaks to the fact that this like that last word process, that this is a process. Like it's not it's not one day you're on one path and the next day you've completely shifted gears and everything is 100% in line, you know, and, it, and it's also being okay with that. It's being okay with the things that you need to work on. And, but what I like hearing is like that awareness you built of, you know, why am I making, why is this the, the, the decision I'm making? Why are these the choices I'm making? Where is this coming from? Like having that understanding of those roots is, I just think really powerful and important you know, as we strive to make change and understand the impact of it and coming to that place of, you know, like you said, you can be that person that's there for other people, but turning that around and being there for yourself almost feels, you know, hundreds of times harder. Like it's, it's a lot easier for us to kind of build up those walls around what's going on inside and be there for other people, be that supportive person. But and I, I think, you know, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not. Like, I also think part of it has to do with that, you know, like you said, seeing ourselves as worthy of, of love from other people and seeing ourselves as worthy of, of 
someone else supporting us. Like there, there's a lot of self value tied into all of it. Yeah, very true. I think, uh, for me, you know, the idea of being worthy of love, uh, if you really look at it, um, for me, I thought love was what you do for people. So I felt that I was worthy of love based on what I was doing all the time. Uh, but then when I visually saw how I loved myself, I didn't like it. So I didn't think I deserved it. So like there was that, that double negative piece of like, yeah, I might be able to give you all the love in the world. But when I look at myself, I don't think you should love me because I don't like me. I don't like what I look like. I don't like how I feel. I'm disgusted. And again, you got to think of the notion where I was like, I'm just going to die. Like you're, you're just going to experience me in a, in a, a brief moment because it's this it's weird. I feel like this out of body, just odd aspect of like, I knew based on my weight that I was going to die, that if I can help people feel loved, I felt like that was enough. Like, wow. Like I had to realize I can help other people do that. But when it came into pouring into myself, I didn't think I was worthy of it. And so eventually you have that realization that you, it needs to kind of come from inside you and that you are worthy of that. And you start walking, you know, coming out of the hospital 2018. And what was it like? Cause I think sometimes too, there's where our heads are at in the process and where our bodies are at in the process. Like, what was it like for you physically to start, you know, getting into that activity pattern? Um, it was achy. Uh, I would say achy because my, my joints, you know, being that size, it's like, oh, this hurts. I, I realized like I was really focused on the first five to six minutes of my walk on my physical body of pain. Cause I was like, man, I'm in pain. This hurts. My back hurts. My ankle hurts. And I realized how much I was allowing my, my pain at that moment to control the level of effort I gave. Because then I was like, oh, because it's too painful, it's too hard. And it was, it was my, I was had to combat that. Like, okay, give myself five more minutes, do this, play this song, go through this song, get through this song, go through the next song. And it was very just pushing it to, to, to focus second to every minute of like, oh, this is going to be this. And until like I stop, like I can zone, I can zone out in part of my walk and just be at peace and just do it without even thinking about or looking at my watch or thinking about even music. There, and I had to test this idea, like what would happen if I didn't have any headphones? I didn't have no headphones. I had maybe just my watch and sometimes I didn't have my watch. What would happen if I just was bare? just doing my walk bare with nothing. Okay, I have my heartbeat. I can focus on the birds chirping. Like I was very just, let me be present in the moment and not be fearful of, oh, because my heart is going too fast, I gotta stop. Or, oh, this feels achy. It is like, you know, is this feeling going to pass? And if it's going to pass, you know, can I accept that I can just continue to push myself, right? Um, I use pain with purpose. 
I, I kind of repurposed a lot of the pain I had physically and emotionally and just channeled it through my walk. There, there's, there's something powerful there about being able to do that. And turning that into that fire progression, you know, allowing yourself to move forward. And where did the walks lead to? Uh, the walks led to uh, working on nutrition, I believe, the next piece. Even though I always had this nutritionist here telling me eat this, eat that, it was more so like, all right, I notice how my body feels when I eat this before bed. I notice what my body feels if I eat this before a walk. I notice what my body feels like if I, if I overeat or if I undereat. Being really in tune with my my physical body and understanding the feelings I know that are safe, right, and that that I know I can work with, uh, and I think I, I I'll contribute that to even like after COVID, I'll have this uh, PTSD feeling of uh, anytime I had like a stuffy nose or something like that or a headache, I'm like, oh, all right, let me get tested, like right, let me get tested for COVID, let me do this because it was that feeling of like I had to reassure that I'm okay. So, like, with my body, I'll be really in tune with my body and knowing, like, okay, what am I trying to feel? What is this feeling I'm having currently? How do I fix this feeling? You know, um, and, and also uh, meditating throughout the process. Like, my walk was a meditation, too, uh, as well as a reflection. No, I think that makes sense. And where... In terms of, you know, so nutrition, like, was it, because we're also talking about, you know, your experience with COVID, like, where, where did other tools come into play in terms of your, the, the physical side of your weight loss journey? Um, the other, like, other tools besides walking and, like, eating, like, a certain amount of calories or a certain uh, amount of protein. Uh, I want to say, so, okay, from 2019 to, to that, so from 2000, October 2019 to all the way to October 2020, that's when I lost 200 pounds, and that was more so geared on just walking and working on nutrition, uh, and then in October 2020, I had gastric bypass, because at the time, my, my body was still uh, fighting a lot of just feeling ill, heart regulations and stuff like that. And my doctor was like, you did great. You lost 200 pounds. Uh, but if you want to continuously try to work on your health without, you know, like slowing up, like, let's try this. So I went and got the bypass and I, that was more so of a discipline piece because what, what like, a lot of times I've, I hear people like, oh, that's the easy route. And it's like, well, you got to look at it. There's there's two ways you can see this. Like one, someone can have the bypass and gain the weight back, right? If they stop doing disciplined things, like I've seen that happen over and over again. But then also the piece is there's a lot of preparation I had to do before being able to get the bypass, right? So a month prior to the bypass, I was having 600 calories a day. And I, that's three protein shakes, a piece of chicken and broccoli. And I was still doing my walks. So mind you, walking two miles a day, eating 600 calories a day, drinking a gallon of water, and my body was just depleted. 
Like it was like, okay, you're you're doing nothing. And like then I lost I think in that month I lost like sixty five pounds uh with such a depletion. But it was well worth it because it's like I know I'm capable of doing this. I think it was more so being proud of knowing that I can be very disciplined in what I eat and what I do to find fulfillment in. I'm curious because I think there's something to be said too in that idea of like, so dirt, you lost 200 pounds and then to have a doctor say, that's great. I still feel like you need this surgery. What was, what was that process of acceptance like for you? Like was, does that like, what, how did that feel to have that conversation? Um, I think I understood the physical feeling I still was having. Like I still was on 20 different medications. I was on three different blood pressure pills. Uh, I was on all these different, try to appetite suppressing this, that, and it's like, I don't want to be on all this. And I'm kind of feeling the fatigue of being on this. Still having these headaches, still, you know, my CPAP, my sleep apnea, uh, irregulated, all these different features of like, can I maybe mitigate or, or speed up some of this process versus this element of, okay, do I have a, do I really have another year in me to, to just be this level of discipline without assistance in some sense? I think that's kind of where I, I had to look at it. Like it was hard. It was very hard to accept, but it was. It wasn't. I didn't look at it as, oh man, this is going to be a great relief. I look at it as, okay, I'm going to have to realize that I'm never going to be able to eat some foods that I love again. Like to this day, like I haven't. I've had a bowl of cereal to this day. Uh, I want to say I've only had ice cream maybe three to four times. And of the times I've had ice cream, I get really sick. So it's an element of like foods I'll never be able to have again, things I'll never be able to do again. Can I make that sacrifice? And I and I real and I realized after like a year, it wasn't a sacrifice I made. It was just me being obedient to my body. It's just a sense of I rather choose the obedience to myself over thinking that I'm sacrificing something that's outside of me to feel better. I like that perspective. And because I think there's something, there's probably someone listening who hears you say you lost 200 pounds in a year. And, you know, the people that are ignorant to the actual, to, to the, what the tools are when it comes to, you know, gastric bypass and surgery. And, you know, they, like you said, the people that see it as a quote unquote cheat or an easy way out, and they're like, they, they'll they say, well, you lost 200 pounds in a year. Just keep doing that for a couple more years and you'll get to where you want to go. You didn't need to do, you didn't need to do the surgery. But I think what needs to be heard is like, yes, you did that. But your body was in such a place that you, it was still life-threatening for you after that year of work. Yeah, I, I was definitely still in a like potential to, at the time, um, because I had that blood clot in the lung before, you know, potential to have blood clots to the heart. And uh, there are still a lot of physical health features that were uh, depriving me because there will be times, even in even in the, the first year, 
of the losing 200 pounds. It wasn't like a peachy keen, like, I just lost 200 pounds by just walking and eating. No, it was a, yeah, I'm still going to the doctor or the hospital because, hey, your oxygen levels are too low. <laughs> but I'm telling the doctor, I'm doing everything. He's like, yeah, I see you losing weight, but your your body's just, this is a lot on your body still to, to work at this. Like, because I was taking such a machine approach to it just to try to, just because I was trying to push and see how hard I can go. And my body's just like, yeah, we're going to push back too. We're going to, you're not going to, this isn't going to be uh oh, you're going to get out of this. And even in the, you know, getting the surgery, and I, uh, that was a hard push because now I have to retrain to how to eat, like eat two ounces for a good, I was eating like two ounces of like food for a good two months, you know, each meal and drink, sipping on water. Right, you know, so when people say, you know, this might be an easy route, things like that, like take take the just just take the concept of having six hundred calories a day, and saying, yeah, this is all you have today. All right, and still try to work, still try to try to listen to people, still try to exercise, still try to be present, and not see how like after the fourteenth day, your body's taking a toll because what people don't realize, your body takes a sugar detox too. Like I had this sugar flu aspect of like, I was, I was very sick and I was like, why am I sick? I mean, right now I'm having enough protein. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what the doctor told me. Why do I feel sick? And then they're like, listen, you're, you're sick because your, your body is detoxing off sugar. He's like, uh, because I work in the field of addictions. Like if you take someone who is a heroin addict and you stop giving them heroin because their body was dependent on it, they're going to have, you know, this flu, this uh, this uh, heroin flu, basically. So you're doing the same thing because you were on sugar so much. Your body was so used to having such a high amount of sugar, and now that is being deprived, it is feeling sick. And what? Where did? In in terms of timelining everything. Because you've mentioned a couple times having COVID, it, was that after surgery or before surgery? That was before surgery. So, okay. so COVID was May of 2020. Surgery okay. was October of 2020. Just trying to timeline some of those details for, for some of the questions I'm asking. Um, so, coming through your surgery, you know, talking about sugar detox, what was it? L- what was it like going through that experience of having to kind of retrain yourself nutritionally, like getting used? Because I, I, I think anyone out there, anyone out there listening who doesn't have an, a conception of what two ounces of food looks like, weigh it out. You know, measure it. You know, you can see, you'll see what that, you know, what that actually means. Because I think sometimes, you know, when people aren't paying attention to what numbers and everything mean, like having a visual representation, um, can be powerful. But what was what was that experience like for you, like coming through the actual surgery? So for me, it was this this aspect that I couldn't eat with my eyes anymore. So I used to eat with the idea of like, ooh, I, I see this big plate and, you know, because of the condition of eat everything on your plate, like that was the mindset. But now it's like, what happens if I leave a portion of this food on my plate? What happens if? okay, I got this amount, right, in my mind saying this is not going to be enough, but then I physically understand that it's enough because I'm I'm full. I'm not hungry. 
because my body was doing that. It was like, oh, okay, you're not hungry. Like you're you're trying to tell yourself you're hungry because you're looking at this and you're saying, oh, this isn't a lot. This is so small. Like I I can eat twenty of these. And as a and the aspect is like, yeah, but you, even if you could eat twenty of those, like was it good to eat twenty? Was it healthy? This is where the that dialogue comes in place. Like you trying to eat more than what you uh, are necessarily needing to is the reason why you got here. So you were eating just because it was there and you felt good about it. But if you really want to feel good about it, eat to where it's enough. Because then you, you'll appreciate it more. You won't be eating for the, the size of the plate. You'll be eating for what is sensational for you. Right? Um... It's the difference for me. It's the difference between um, pursuing a need to be overly happy with food instead of just being at peace with what I have. Right, what I have can be just as enough as this needing of abundance. Abundance never served me. This is where that I go back to the idea of an addiction aspect. Is like my abundance still was never enough. All right, so I had to create a new measurement of what enough was and start off with a bare minimum to see what that would feel like. And it sounds like it also goes back to some of those things we talked about earlier on, you know, with that development of, of food is love and, you know, being full is being like a hug. Like having to, repro- having to process and retrain those be- patterns of behavior and identify them, and which is also... I think, you know, the, the great thing is that you had really started to work on all of that. Like you had started to build those pathways to assess and question and, you know, look at what those things really mean for you as you went through this process, you know, before you even approached the surgery, like knowing that work you were doing on the mental side, supporting where you were headed towards now. Yeah, I, I really realized that I needed the balance of that because um, I feel like uh, things start off as a belief, right? I had to believe that I had to lose weight. So one, I had to I had to be taught or teach myself what I was willing to do in my weight loss, visually see what it was going to take, and then emotionally bond to it. But after a while, the condition behind the belief turns into faith. I just realized I had to have more faith in the process, not knowing where this journey was going to take me because I was so, I was so in the moment versus the goal. I think uh, originally the, the idea was with weight loss is to be goal-oriented. Like you want to lose this amount of pounds. You want to lose this amount of pounds. But then once, like I said, once I did that, I would always return back to, you know, let me have a shake. Let me do this to reward myself. And I wasn't changing that feedback loop. But when I realized what the value of the journey was, I didn't need to be rewarded for the, for the good behavior I did, for uh, the loss. I, the reward was action I took. That was rewarding enough the action I chose to took versus the needing for something outside of me to give me that reward. So moving, moving us forward, like what have, what's the best way to phrase this? So getting into like your, you, you know, you're getting into your new lifestyle, post-surgery, continuing your physical activity, you know, all these things that you've been doing, you know, where, 
where has that taken you to now? You know, we're a few years out from there. Like, what have the past couple of years been like? Um, uh, so a lot of, a lot of like realizing clothes, like I don't have to wear, I don't have to wear layers. One of the things is, uh, cause I was a big guy, I would always layer myself to look good or whatever, but I don't have to wear layers. I just started wearing shorts again for my legs being out. I, um, and those are just, uh, visual aspects. Uh, relationship wise, I realize that I bring something to the table in a sense of who I am versus what I, what I'm looking to need other people to fulfill for me. Right. So, uh, I use this concept of Maslow's hierarchy. Yep. Oh yeah. There's a, you know, you got your physiological need, which is like, you know, your physical health, mental health, things like that. You got your safety, which is like food, shelter, clothing, work, things like that. And then you got this idea of love and belonging. So because I have a strong sense of how I love myself, right, I'm not compromising to be belong to people that don't love me properly, right? I'm not I'm not compromising the feeling to be belong to fit in just because this is something people want me to do because it's entertaining for them. Like, I, I can tell people, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I use my voice, which builds this confidence in me. Like, I have a voice now to feel heard versus uh, using my size just to be seen. That's powerful. Like, that being heard versus being seen. There's There's something there that just really speaks to the kind of the transformative nature of the work you've been doing. Like the value you place on yourself now that I hear you talking about, um, like you said, comes from that place inside and not from how other people are seeing you and perceiving you. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I, I realize people are going to choose to see me however they want to, to feel comfortable for themselves. Like, um, it's just, it's, it's a weird way of saying, like, uh, when you look at a book, right, and you just look at the cover of it, you'll tell to see if you're going to be interested in reading it just because of the wording or uh, the color of the book, whatever it may be, but it's the pages that are important. I realize my pages are way more important than the physical show that I present, I present as. So this, you know, needing to to look good on the outside was just because I didn't feel like I looked good outside for me, right? The benefit is people are now, okay, oh, you look this. And I, oh, I can see your confidence. It's like those features were still in me. I was hiding them because I did not, I did not feel like I deserved to be loved because I didn't like this image of myself. But now that you see that this image of myself and I have this confidence, I, the attention I get, right? I, I'm great. I'm grateful. I appreciate it. But that's where I won't. I won't reduce that feeling or that value of myself to be rewarded by people to say, "Oh, well, you know, you know, I lost this weight. Now, 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 I, I, you got my attention." It's like, no, no, no. Like my weight loss was personal for me, right? Uh, so you know, you'll get a version of myself that that's always been me. But you won't you won't get the version in the sense where uh, 
you didn't you don't understand the work I put in, right? I, and this is where I don't put it. Um, so I say everybody's journey is very personal to them. Like everybody has their own why in their weight loss, whether it's like their health, whether it's you know uh, mental health, whatever it may be. But knowing that why and using that to drive you was what came out of me. Like I needed to be driven for myself to find the reward to life because I had to be curious to want to live life. I didn't, I stopped thinking about like, oh, I know everything and why things operate the way they do. Now I'm relearning just about anything. Like, okay, um, for instance, I, I always get told like, oh, you're supposed to drink a gallon of water a day, you know, right? normal. But then in the aspect of like, why just a gallon? Like, what is the benefits of that? What, just having that curiosity to expand and wanting now to say, okay, well, I'm going to drink a gallon and a half and see how my body physically feel. And what happens if I drink it over a period of time? What if I just drink it in an hour? You know, it's just the expansiveness of questioning things and applying them to myself without just accepting them for what it is. I mean, I feel like too many times people do that. We just accept things for what they are and just go about our day just existing just because of that. When you start questioning things, now you got the backing. Now you have an understanding of the story behind things versus the element of just accepting them for what they are. Which I 100% agree with, man. And I'm curious... Coming through all of that to today, what are what are the what are the challenges and the goals that you're working on now? Um, I want to say a, a challenge that I have now uh, is this. So you know, so it's the feeling of what my walk means, right? My walk means everything. I know I can always have it. But how do I expand? Like, it's this feeling of pivoting. Like, I, I right now, um, this week, I injured my ankle. So I haven't been doing my three miles. I've been doing like a mile or so, or I'll go lift in the gym. And now it's the element of like, okay, well, let's go into lifting. What, what will happen if I pivot to doing that? And how, how to be disciplined with that just as much as I was disciplined with my walk. I, I just mentally preparing and shifting in that. So because I wanted to, I want to physically to feel fit more uh, in size uh, versus, you know, I know my cardio is good. My cardio is great. Uh, you know, I know I can, I went from doing a mile in 32 minutes to if I really wanted to, I can do a mile in 12 minutes. So that's, that was a big accomplishment of myself. But now it's this element of like, what what other physical aspects do I want to pivot in? So now it's the the lifting of weights. Uh, another goal of mine's or a challenge is I really want to reach more people in the world uh, regarding the mental health features on weight loss, and not not just not just the nutrition, but the mental understanding of like how do you, how does one see themselves how do they want to be received for themselves uh like i have this question that i i ask myself uh in my process is like if i can be 
if I can be re-raised from childhood, how would I want to be raised? Like, how would I want to be loved? How would I want to be disciplined? All those things. And then how can I apply those things today? Right? How can I address the way that I wanted to be raised as a child and then love myself that way today? I think that's a big challenge of mine because I want to see, you know, there, I know there's elements in my childhood that I, I was I was loved, but then there's ways I wanted to be loved and I wasn't given that. So how do I give that to myself today? I think that's an excellent question, man. And what... And besides working on the answer to that, like, what do you think are the things that are most, you know, not necessarily, like, I think I phrased that, you know, what are the challenges you're working on, but what are the things, the aspects of this journey that are most challenging to you right now? I guess aging, the physical aging and accepting that you might not be able to go as hard as you did three years ago. Like my my motivation or my my drive three years ago with, with doing this was way stronger than I know now, and it's not that it's settled in, into nothingness and that I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm still physically active. I'm still challenging myself emotionally and physically. It's just the the. Uh, I guess the gusto about it is not as strong and maybe it's because I haven't found something else to to throw myself into to to make it stronger like I I said you know pivoting from uh, walking to now lifting building what that is and making that stronger and how that is fulfilling I think that's a next piece but then how can I how can I take this energy I have now and expand it to the world around me I like it. Is there anything in in what you have been through to, to today that we haven't had a chance to talk about that you want, you know, that is a part of that message you want to make sure people hear? So one of the pieces I will say is I believe everyone should find something they can be grounded in. And what I mean by that is the world around you is going to be chaotic. The world around you is always going to change. Your environment is always going to change. But what is that one thing you do for yourself to make yourself feel at peace or be grounded when chaos is around you? And for me, it was my walk. And a perfect example was this. Uh, This happened maybe two years ago. Um, I was visiting my mother down in Dallas, and it was Thanksgiving. And my sister and family there, and we're all having Thanksgiving dinner. And I remember going upstairs with my mom, and we were just looking over pictures of, you know, my childhood and stuff like that. And then I noticed my mom had a stroke. So I'm carrying my mom down the stairs, and I witnessed my mom forget my name, uh, like, just jumbling. And I was so scared. Like, in the instant, I was like, man, I'm about to lose my mom. Like, I love my mom to death. I'm about to lose my mom, um, take her to the hospital, still not remembering my name, and just, it was a very, very impactful, scary moment, and instead of resorting back to what I know, instead of like, oh, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to go ahead and do this, 
right? Uh, at that moment, I went to the gym and went on a walk. And I remember going on that walk in the gym and I was crying on the treadmill uh, because I needed that release. I didn't want to go to comfort with food. I wanted to comfort myself through the actions of physically feeling something. Not like the warm hug I found from food, but the warm hug I have inside to feel safe. Because that that feeling safe feeling might not be there no more because of my mom having a stroke and I might not be able to get that hug. So how can I how can I give myself that in the times where the people I want to be there aren't capable of doing it? And that's why I say like a person has to find that one thing that keeps them grounded because when your world is chaotic, you need to feel safe for you. You need to feel uh, feel like you're enough for you. And uh, physical activity, I say, or even meditation or reading or something could be the worthwhile thing to make you feel enough. Oh, I 100% agree with that. Like, I, I feel like that right there is a core concept topic that I work on with almost every client that I work with. Like we talk about, you know, what role food, what, what food is doing for them in their life. You know, what role is it playing? Like you you were talking about, you know, the hug you were getting from it. And then the next question, because I feel like it's not just enough to answer that question is, so how do we meet that need in a way that is going to move you forward and be healthy and not in a way that leads to more self-harm? Like, how do you how do you address how do you get that feeling? It's you know, and yes, we there's nuance. It like you said, everyone's journey is individual, and sometimes what we're getting out of it is something that we shouldn't be getting out of anything in our lives. But it's that idea sometimes of if if food is comfort, if food is a coping mechanism, you can't just say I'm going to stop using food for those things because you're still going to have those feelings. You're still going to go through those emotions, have those experiences. So how are you going to process those feelings and emotions in a way that serves you and not in a way that leads you down to a place where you just feel like you're continuing that pattern of harm? Like it's, it sounds simple, but it's not, you know, obviously like it's, yeah, right. it's not an easy yeah. question to answer, but it's an important question. And you're, you're absolutely right. Cause it's, um, I, I, I struggle this with my, my clients, uh, working in the addictions field. Because I, I think an addiction is addiction, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, alcohol, no matter, it's addiction is an addiction. And this is this is kind of where that box of where they feel imprisoned. And I, for me personally, I felt imprisoned by the idea that food will always satisfy me no matter what. Uh, but I had to give up the illusion of freedom. Uh, and the reason why I say the illusion of freedom is because... I, right now, I've lost all this weight, uh, and I know I know if I wanted to, a bowl of cereal won't be bad. It won't harm me, right? But that's an illusion of the freedom of choice I have, right? But I had to work on being, instead of having freedom, being liberated. Now, liberation comes with the idea of not being attached to what this meant to you. So redefining one, not, not just the value of what food means to you, but looking at things you do to liberate yourself from it. So I guess for me, my liberation was not just my walk, 
but also the rewarding feeling I found uh, from taking a deep breath after the walk, from from physically feeling exhausted and knowing how much work I put in today. Uh, that feeling. So, like, it, you're right. It's, it's not just a switch of, like, you got to stop eating food because if, if you, you know these things are killing. We know. Like, you, you, we're not afraid of it no more. Here's the thing. We're not afraid of the idea of what our addiction of food or what food did to us, right? Because we've been doing it for so long. So you, you're, it's a, it's the fear you're used to. You're comforted in that fear. It's a fear that you feel safe with because that's all you've known to comfort you. So it's the element of taking yourself out of that comfort zone. Uh, not not just straight removing like you're not gonna rip a band-aid and be like oh, okay cool and I'm bleed out until you you know until it cauterizes no it's the you have to understand your tolerance to the pain you receive from not having it no more how much pain are you willing to take each and every day to remove yourself completely so that you're not just having freedom but liberated. Like for me, it was a step process of, okay, cool. Let me get my physical activity together and then start working on my nutrition. Right? Uh, and other people might have different other ways for their journey for that. But it's that you have to now take away this, this piece of um, because you've done it, you can go back to it because you can control mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You can't, like, because it was an addiction in some sense, uh, you you have no control over this is that that's that illusion, right? That's that illusion of freedom. Like I have control, I can eat this amount and be okay, right? So for instance, uh, let's going back to two ounces, right? Okay, cool. If I had two ounces of my choice and I was like, okay, cool, I have ice cream. I'll have ice cream every time those two ounces. But now I realize I feel like crap because my sugar is high. I realize I'm not getting enough sleep. And I realized, and okay, because I feel this way and sugar is addicting, I'm going to need more sugar to try to go to sleep because now I'm using sugar to help myself regulate my sleep. Now I'm, now I'm using, uh, now I'm using this to regulate. Like that, because that's the idea that I'm trying to get to see is like, you you can't say that you're going to do this amount and be like, okay, because I did this amount, I can regulate from here on out. No, this you have to understand your threshold of what pain means to you and what you're willing to let go of and you i think and then yeah no go ahead no what did you say no i was just gonna say and i think the one of the things that makes coming through all of that harder is the world and culture that we live in now you know especially the social media culture like i think it's really hard for people to accept that their journeys are their individual journeys and that especially people that struggle with addiction issues especially around food who see other people who their their weight issues were not driven by an addiction issue. You know, whether it was, you know, I've talked to people who 100% what they were dealing with was they were uneducated about food choices and portions. And once they figured out, you know, how to count calories, weight dropped off and they can now portion, they're, they're the moderators, the portion controllers, like they can do everything, you know, for themselves. And so someone that struggles with, you know, like with a sugar addiction or addiction to food in general, sees someone else able to do that and wants what that person has and sees that that person can do it and then just spend so much time beating themselves up because 
every time they try to do the, I'm just going to have one Oreo after dinner, it leads to, you know, a three-day Oreo bender. Like, in, but it's that, like, the phrase you use, I just think is powerful. It's that illusion of choice in that moment in the beginning. Like, maybe, you know, it's that continued dialogue of, maybe this time I'll be okay with it. Maybe this time it will be okay. You know, and I think that cuts across all, you know, all forms of addiction, you know, especially, you know, people who, you know, have an issue with alcohol who believe they can moderate it. You know, they 100% become 100% certain that this is the time they're going to be able to moderate. You know, I think people who deal with food issues go through the same thing. This, quote unquote, this is the time. Instead of having to say, where am I at right now? And making that choice right now is not something that's going to keep me safe. All right, because the, the other question behind that is, what is this feeding? Right. Because I remember, I remember having that aspect of, I can have this, and be like, what am I feeding with this? Like, what value is this going to do, right? Yes, it's going to taste good, but what is the one nutritional value? But then two, is taste always enough for me? All right, just asking myself these questions to avoid just making an impulsive decision of just saying, oh, no. No one's looking. No, it's it's the element of like, do I have the integrity to do it when no one's looking? Do I have the integrity to myself to know that I mean more than what this amount of food is going to be? It, it's like I, I have a client that I work with who one of the things that we've been talking about since day one working together is he wants to be that dad that can go out on a Friday night with his kids to have an ice cream cone and not have the experience be just about I get to go have ice cream Mm, yeah you know like wants the experience you know because I think there is there's something in our you know in our all of our you know even though every person's individual family culture and regional and everything is different there's something in human culture about coming together over food you know sharing food and all of those things that's kind of deeply ingrained in our history coming together to you know nomadic people turning into tribes because they found out they could get food, you know, when they work together, they could access food, you know, all of that. I think there's something really ingrained, you know, genetic memory there. But it is that idea of if the purpose is to have that, you know, going for a walk with the family on Friday night and it ends with an ice cream cone, that then doesn't lead to you. Okay. In that moment, I have to get the biggest ice cream cone that I can because it's the only time that I'm allowing myself to have an ice cream cone. And this is the ice cream cone I've been dreaming about all week. That's a different, you know, there's different, there's nuance to those thoughts that you have to be asking those questions. You have to be, you know, is the purpose, you know, you go to a holiday gathering, you know, is the purpose of having a piece of, of grandma's pie because, you know, she's probably not going to be around for the next holiday and this is something that only she makes and you want to have that experience with the family or is it, it's a holiday, it's pie day, I get to have whatever I want to eat, like... And not every person can get to those different places. Like it's about acknowledging what is the answer for you? Like what's really driving it for you? And I think there's, there's that piece of, uh, you, you very, you put it very, uh, good. Cause it's this, all right. Is it because I know grandma's not going to be able to make this no more, which then is selfless. You're making a selfless thought because it's like, I still want to have this memory because I don't know how long I'll have this taste. Uh, and then versus, oh, you know, pie is going to be there. I can't wait to have pie. And it's like, now is that a selfish thought to do for you just because you know it's there? And the element is like, 
are are we going to start rewarding ourselves selfishly for things outside of us uh, per our choices to feel fulfilled? Or are we going to be selfish with ourselves inside of us and the choice we give to ourselves? Because you're right, like the grandma situation is way more, under, like I, I would understand that way more than the sense of just because it's pie day, because okay, grandma, gram, you know, grandma's not gonna be there this long. It's that narrative you tell yourself, basically. Yeah, it's more so the narrative you tell yourself that that is the changing of your mind's thought process. That like, well, the the other the other example I love to use, and I've probably people who are regular listeners to the podcast know I've shared this one before. I have a client who we're, we this was a long time ago, so it was one of my early clients, like. You know, it was like four days into this person making changes to what they were eating. And they, you know, during a phone, you know, during our phone call to check in, they're like, okay, I have a problem. You know, this Saturday is my nephew's birthday party and there's going to be cake there. And I'm like, well, in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, you're four days into work, starting to work on these issues. Is day four the day you want to challenge yourself to feel like if you can moderate you know like all of that you know that's going through my thought the thought process in my head and i'm like so what is the what's going on with this cake that this you know this whose birthday what's so special you know take me into this give me some details and you know the person was like well it's you know my nephew's fourth birthday and he's going to be really upset if i don't have cake and i was like so your four-year-old nephew is going to be paying attention to whether or not you have cake tomorrow. You that's what that's what you honestly believe. And if you honestly believe that, let's talk about that. But do you really think that that's going to happen? And they were like, "Well, hmm, well, you know, it's a birthday party and there's cake and everyone's going to have cake." I'm like, "Okay, so let's examine that. Like, tell me what's so special about this cake. Like, is is someone in the family making it? Is it like a family recipe? Is it a special recipe? Like, what? Tell me, like." No, it's a, it's a cake from, you know, like a Costco or a supermarket. Like, it's going to be a sheet cake. And I'm like, so you've never had cake before. This is going to be the first time you get to try cake and you're excited about it. And they're like, no, I've had cake. So is the question, you're, the reason you're bringing this up is because you just want to have cake on Saturday. Is that what we're right. talking about? <laughs> right, like, right, right. This, this isn't about your nephew crying because you don't have cake. This isn't about this being a, an incredibly special emotional family moment. There's just going to be cake at this party, and you want to have cake. And they were like, I get, yeah. And I'm like, do you feel like you should have cake? Like, let's let's now, you know, and I could go on for another half hour talking about how that discussion went. But it's getting through all those things that we tell ourselves. Like, because there was, that when that discussion started, that person was 100% convinced that they were going to ruin their four-year-old nephew's birthday party if they didn't have cake. Like that was what that they on the surface, you know, were allowing. That was what they were buying into for themselves. And it's and it's, it's so interesting because that's how crazy the mind can manipulate us to to make something believe is true. It's such a irrational thought, right? So it's it's this. Um, there was this uh, movie I saw. It was a, it was a magic show uh, where this guy was talking about how when Christopher Columbus and things like that, like when they would look for the North Star, sometimes there would be cloud coverage, right? So when there was cloud coverage, they still had to write in the journal about the coordinates. 
But if you really can't see where the North Star is based on the clouds, what are you writing? So you're basing you're basing things on some of a semi truth. It's not really true, right? Truth is, there's going to be cake at this, you know, party. The others, not true, is your the four year old nephew is going to be mad. It's an element of like uh, something isn't true until you make it true through the actions of doing it. So like if you the person followed through and had that piece of cake and be like, well yeah, do you see that I, I got a smile and he was happy that I had a piece of cake. You know what I'm saying? Versus the element of uh okay I didn't have any cake and now I'm looking at their face and I don't think they're noticing it. So maybe it wasn't that big. Like it's you, all right, that is that piece that I know is that that's that's pretty interesting because I do that all the time with my clients. It's like, you know, sometimes you don't you might not believe in something until you act on it. So you'll create this crazy, you know, narrative just to justify the reason why you go back to you, just to justify the reason why you lie or manipulate. And it's uh. Uh, I, I'll I'll add this to because this is a whole different discussion, but it's, it's it's valid. I feel like sometimes the way we chase our food or addictions in life is the way we chase love. And the reason I say that is that element of they they wanted to please the person they love, right? So we try to please the people we love. Uh, we try to please our addiction. We lie to the people we love, we lie to our addiction. We manipulate to the people I love, we manipulate to our addiction. There's an element of like, it's the concept of the chase that becomes the uh, provider of, the, of what we're looking for. I'm chasing a feeling that I'm trying to receive and I don't care what it's gonna take to get to it, right? So I might have to lie to myself in order to believe that that is true. That's well put, man. So Corby, I have really enjoyed our, our discussion, man. I do have one question that I, because I, there are going to be people listening who are going to want to know this, and I feel like now at some point it's a little pedantic to come back to it. But can you just catch us up? Where where are you at on your your journey in terms of weight loss right now? Uh, right now I'm at three seventy two. So going from eight thirty five to three seventy two right now. Um, uh, feels amazing. Like half of <laughs> half of these gone. I was gonna say, yeah, like, like, you know, I know we we I we of course we you know we can coach the discussion in like yes, this the scale is the only thing that matters and all of that and everything. But when you're 835 pounds and you're now 372 pounds, there's a difference. You know, there's there's, there's, a, there's a major difference. There's a like, major, yeah. Go ahead. Like it's not like like I realize. So I, I so I don't squat right. So. I, I was like, okay, let me squat the other day. And I, I put 135 pounds. And that was so hard to do. Now, mind you, being 835 pounds, you think, oh, well, you didn't lost all this weight. You can just put 135 pounds like it's nothing. But no, it, it is something. My body's not used to that. <laughs> it's the idea of my body is so has has now changed and accepted this new role in my life and my weight loss. So yeah, it's 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 definitely a big difference. You like I notice and physically feel more healthier. That's awesome, man. I mean, you're coming out. You're you're getting close to five hundred pounds lost. Like mm-hmm. that's amazing. Like, and the thing that amazes me more is to know 
all of the work that you're doing as a part of that, you know, the, especially that mental work, you know, that, the, that work on the inside, you know, that's, that's, a, you know, yes, numbers are impressive, but to me, that sense of awareness and that self-awareness that you, you've built is the piece that impresses me the most. Yeah, yeah I just find, I find it very fulfilling and rewarding. So Corey, if people do want to follow along with your adventures, where do they find you, man? Uh, so most uh, everything I have is pretty much on Instagram. It's Fadeaway Ryan, uh, and you'll see my like before and after pictures. And sometimes I do topics related to mental health, uh, related to the mindset that I had to come into play with uh, when it came to my weight loss journey, uh, and then the different relationship aspects. The reward I was looking at from a significant other versus the reward I was looking at from food and how they were comparable. So yeah, uh, fade away Ryan on Instagram. There we go. And I will make sure to put that in the show notes today, man. Corey, I end every episode with five questions I call the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready for your run through those questions? Sure thing. Okay. So question number one, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Oh, the fridge. Um, there's 1985. I like it. I'm a, uh, as someone who was a, a young, a preteen at that time, I was very aware of, of <laughs> the fridge. So I like hearing that come up. Also, I, I, I'm a Patriots fan. So the whole, you know, there's, oh yeah, yeah <laughs> there's some, yeah. there's some problems there with the, with mm-hmm. the bears as well, but you know, good stuff. I like it. He's, you know, he's a good one. Question number two, men, what is something about yourself that you love? Um, I love my determination. When I have my mind on something, I attack it. So mm. my determination and my curiosity to life, those are the two most valuable things. I don't, I don't ever take things for certain anymore. I like it. Question number three, man, on this journey that you've been on, what has been the most important new habit that you've built? Uh, waking up every day and telling myself that I'm more than just what my weight has caused me, but also I am worthy to be loved again or to love myself. I think I, 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 I look at, I, it's funny thing is I have an empty cup in my room and every day I pour water and be like, this is how fulfilled I feel every time I pour water into it. I, I look at the fact of I can pour something into myself and be enough. I like it, man. Thank you. And question number four, Corby, what is a goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Uh, so in the next year, um, well, I just got my license as an independent therapist. So expanding to do maybe outpatient with clients as well as uh i want to do a lot more speaking engagements uh related to the mental health on weight loss and then related to just addiction in general so i have a couple speaking engagements lined up and question number five man if you could go back to that that you know Go back to day one of your journey, like go back to that first day you decided to take a walk. What is something you would tell yourself? It would be all worth it. 
just know whatever you're feeling at that moment, it will be all worth it because your feelings don't last in the moment forever. They only last for the moment in which you're trying to receive them. So no, like I would tell myself pretty much the, the saying, this too shall pass. And that, that, that means a lot to me in life. I like it. Well, Corby, thank you again so much for, for being on the show. Obviously, we're going to continue this discussion for a few minutes on the Patreon after show, but I do want to say just a big thank you for everything that you shared with us today. I think people are going to get a lot out of this discussion. I, I truly appreciate it. It was uh, definitely worthwhile to me, and I, I enjoy every bit of it. Well, thank you, man. And everyone, connect with Corby. His contact information will be in the show notes. If you want to connect with me, you can, of course, find me also on Instagram at GourmetGoesKeto. On Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto, you can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And then, my friends, remember, go out there, do something today to amaze yourselves because you're the most amazing people that I know. And then catch us here on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Mm-hmm.